You're listening to the Word of Life AG Podcast. This is the message from this week's service. If you want to view the full service, including worship, please head to our website at wordoflifeag.org. While there, you can also see what's coming up at the church, or even check out some next steps. All right, let's dive into this week's message. Good morning, everybody. It is great to see you. Glad to be able to come be a part of service with everybody. Uh, Last weekend, I was not here. Uh, Last weekend, I was with um, the Life Youth Retreat that was happening um, a few hours away, and it was an incredible time. And I just want to say, as a parent, my son Elijah is now old enough to be in youth ministry. Um, Your teens are loved. They are cared for. They have a youth team, including, of course, Pastor Annie, that is absolutely fantastic. And so I really hope that you believe that our youth ministry is up and up. It is going fantastically well. I couldn't be um, happier. Um, Both as pastor in the church as well as a parent, so I'm real happy with how that went. The highlight um, at youth retreat of all the great stuff that happened, all the fun stuff that happened, is that Pastor Annie put an invitation out to students if they wanted to go through water baptism. Of course, water baptism is a huge moment in the life of someone. It sort of uh, indicates this is how I'm going to begin a new life in Jesus. I'm going to leave the old behind. The book of Romans describes it as going from death to life. And so Pastor Annie put that in front of a group of students last week, and eight students put their hand up and said, yeah, I want to go ahead and get water baptized in a freezing cold lake in the rain. And after the eighth student went through water baptism, we said, anyone else? And one more. So we baptized nine students in a freezing cold lake. And uh, I've got a picture to show you. This is the uh, group of students as they're getting ready. So this is Pastor Annie giving kind of final, um, you know, instructions and making sure everyone knows the significance of baptism. We've also got a picture of one of the students going through the water itself. And uh, you can see the rain splashes in the freezing cold lake. Um, And so I stayed dry that day, but let me tell you, I was shivering on the side. And this is also a great opportunity for me to let you know, we're going to be having water baptism here at the church uh, in November 12th. So November 12th, we're going to be having water baptism, and we're not going to be having them on a Wednesday night. It's going to be happening on a Sunday immediately following service. Um, We've recently acquired um, a portable baptismal pool, which means that we can set it up in the lobby, have water baptism immediately after service, Um, and we've got a picture because when it was delivered, I took a few moments to set it up just to make sure it was all going to work. So there it is set up. This was a week or so ago, and so we're going to be having that baptismal pool in the lobby. So immediately following service on November 12th, We're going to be saying, don't rush home. Stick around. There's going to be people. We've already got a couple of people signed up. So as people go through water baptism, stick around as a family of faith and cheer people on as they make that fantastic decision to go through water baptism. Um, If you want to know more information, if you're uncertain about um, baptism, but you'd like to know a bit more, please head to our website, um, wordoflifeag.org. All the information is there. You can sign up if you're ready to say, yes, I'm good to go. Or if you want to talk to somebody about what baptism is, please go ahead and do that. But I don't know about you. I am looking for forward to November 12th and having baptism straight after service. So, everyone ready to jump into the Bible? I thought so too. The book of Romans, chapter 8, starting in verse 28. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. Now this verse, it's uh, often mentioned, it's often brought up, it's often used, and I would even say typically used, when someone is going through a tough season of life, when life is difficult, when life is down. This verse is often used as a, as a reminder and encouragement, and it's a reminder of the promise of God that He's working this all together. If somehow He's bringing something good out of this. Now the verse that we just read, it, it says that everything 
works together. Other English translations, they say all things. And I don't know about you, but I'm very grateful for the scholars and academics who go through the rigorous work of translating the Bible that we have in English from Greek and Hebrew. It's not a simple task because these ancient languages, they often have a, a different sentence structure than English and a different nuances in the language that make it an important mission. And as someone who doesn't speak either Hebrew or Greek, I'm very grateful for those people. But this word for all things or everything is as straightforward a translation as there can be. This word everything or all things, it really does mean everything, no exceptions, absolutely, completely, all-inclusive, everything. It's true that when life is difficult and we're having the worst day of our lives, and it's equally true on the very best days, it's everything. On the best days, God is working things together. On the worst days, God is working in all of it. God is working it all together for the greater good. But it's equally true in the boring and the mundane. God is at work, not just in the good times, not just in the bad times, but also in the forgettable everyday moments. In those casual moments that none of us pay any attention to, in those moments that are just routine, that are just part of day-to-day -day life, God is at work. Just as he's working in the best and the worst, he's also at work in the ordinary and the neutral. So for believers, this means that in all things, in everything, God is somehow working in each and every moment of our lives. The good, the bad, and the indifferent. That, by the way, is the name of a Western that flopped at the box office. The good, the bad, and the indifferent. Once again, it was much funnier when I wrote it down at home. But in, I wasn't expecting a round of applause. Oh, my goodness. Oh, gosh. Anyway, in the good moments of life, we can see that God is at work, and we have reasons to thank him and praise him. If we take a moment on a good day and we contemplate it, it's very easy to imagine how God is using this good moment or a good day or a positive event to be a part of something big and be a part of his good plans and purposes that he's unfolding. It's a lot harder on a bad day. There are things that happen that devastate and crush people, and it takes years to be able to see how God has brought anything good from it. And yet I have seen in my own life and in the lives of others that God is able to bring something meaningful and good out of the very worst situations. Something that is tragic and sorrowful is still somehow used to bring about something meaningful and good. This doesn't mean that horrible things don't hurt. It doesn't mean that we have to be glad that they happened, but it does mean that it wasn't for nothing. So if we can easily see that God is at work in the good times, and if we give it time, and perhaps even with a heavy heart, we can see that God is still working, weaving and orchestrating things for good in the bad and the tragic moments. What about the forgettable and indifferent moments? What about those moments that completely escape our attention? Moments that are mundane and insignificant. Do we think about this enough? Do we wonder how God might be working through the ordinary moments in a day? As we walk into a room, do we pray quietly to ourselves, Lord, how are you at work in this moment? For massive portions of the day, we're just busy taking care of our responsibilities and fulfilling our obligations. And normally we don't think or consider, Lord, what are you doing? Or, Lord, how are you fulfilling your good plans and purposes right now? But that scripture, once again, we know that God causes everything, good, bad, and indifferent, to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Everything does mean everything. The neutral, the boring. God is in the middle of all of it, and he is active. And how is God able to do this? 
How is God able to orchestrate all the complexities of life, the ups, the downs, the good, the tragic? How is He able to work it all together for the good of those that love Him? Well, this is another uh, in a long list of reasons that God is far greater than we can imagine. His power, His abilities are infinitely beyond what we can wrap our minds around. And He has promised that He is at work in everything, fulfilling and unraveling His good plans and purposes. It follows that if God is at work in all things, including the day-to-day routine moments, we should constantly ask and pray, God, what are you doing in this moment? A step further is to be ready to anticipate being involved in whatever it is that God is doing. It's a very well-known book. It's a, uh, I'm not even sure how old it is now. It's a few decades, I believe, but a very popular book called Experiencing God. And here's a paragraph from that book that I think really speaks to this for us. God is the sovereign ruler of the universe. He has been working throughout history to accomplish his purposes. He does not ask us to dream our dreams for him. He does not invite us to set magnificent goals and then pray that he help us achieve them. He already has his own agenda when he approaches us. His desire is to get us from where we are to where he is working. He leads us from being self-centered to being God-centered. When God reveals to you where he is working, that becomes his invitation to join him in his activity. When God reveals his work to you, that is the time to respond to him. And that's from Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. It is right and appropriate to expect and anticipate God to be working in each and every room that we walk into. The question that we should be asking is, Lord, how can I get involved? If you're taking notes today, and this may be something helpful to write down, is that God is always working And we should always anticipate opportunities to join Him. God is always working. And we should always anticipate opportunities to join Him. And what does it mean to be involved? What does it mean to join Him? It might be something dramatic or it might be something subtle. It might be emotional. It might be reserved. It might involve a group of people or an individual. It might be something you say or it may be something you do. It might be quick. It might end up being a long-term commitment. It might be someone you know. It might be a complete stranger. It might be encouraging someone having a tough day. The Lord may have worked in the heart of people, and now they are ready to make the decision to follow Jesus, and you may be the person that the Lord brought them to so you can help them walk through that decision and pray to begin a new life following Jesus. Maybe you have a word of knowledge that someone needs, and that word of knowledge cuts through a whole mess of confusion to bring clarity and understanding. Maybe you find out someone has a need and you're able to meet that need. Maybe someone is desperate for help and you would have had to make the connection to the right people. Maybe someone is wrestling big questions about life and amazingly you read something in the Bible just that morning that addresses these questions perfectly. Maybe someone opens up about a struggle and you've been through the exact same thing and you can share a perspective that 99% of other people couldn't. My hope and my belief and my confidence is that if we anticipate God opening these doors, if we expect and stay ready for these opportunities, then God will lead us into conversations and moments when we are used by Him to change people's lives. My friend, it is the greatest honor and joy to be used by God to have a meaningful impact in someone's life. One of the great joys of being a pastor, and there are many, is that people will take the time to tell me the stories of how God has invited them to join him and how they have seen him do amazing things and how he's used them in powerful ways. And people are always overjoyed when they tell me that they got to encourage someone or pray for someone and found a way to help them. This really is a true source of joy. 
And this whole mindset is observable throughout the New Testament letters. And here's a few examples, and I promise there are many more. From the book of Colossians, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. Further on in the book of Colossians, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. From the book of 1 Peter, if someone asks about the hope you have as a believer, always be ready to explain it. God is always working and we should always anticipate opportunities to join him. In every room, Every meeting, every errand, every group of friends, every place you go, every appointment, every interaction, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. We also read, make the most of every opportunity and to be ready to explain the hope that you have. Now, one of uh, the interesting things about the four gospels, the four books written about the earthly life of Jesus is that the 12 people that Jesus asks to be his closest friends, his disciples, they're, they're not shown to be perfect. In fact, they're shown to have a large number of flaws. On this whole idea of anticipating and being ready, we see that this is something that was missing among the 12 disciples. There's multiple examples. I wrote down a few. I'm sure there are many more. But we see a time when uh, children come and want to spend time with Jesus, and they shoo them away instead of observing that no, perhaps Jesus is up to something with these kids. There's a time where uh, people are trying to come to Jesus for healing, and they kind of shoo them away. You know, get away. We need important people to talk to Jesus, not you, riffraff. There's the woman at the well when they come and Jesus is having a life-changing moment with this lady, but instead of them assuming, oh my goodness, Jesus is changing this lady's life, they're like, why is he talking to this Samaritan woman? There's the boat that's caught in a storm, and the disciples, they see the waves, they see the storm, and they think we're all going to die, instead of anticipating that maybe Jesus has a way out of this. At the feeding of the 5,000, the disciples sort of see this crowd of hungry people, and instead of assuming Jesus is going to make a way, they start shrugging and sort of holding their hands, I don't know what's going to happen next. Jesus wants to go to a dangerous area to raise Lazarus from the grave. No one anticipates a miracle. Instead, Thomas actually says, well, let's go because I guess we're all going to die there. When Jesus is arrested, they all run and hide. With a very surface reading of the Gospels, we don't see that the 12 disciples live with an anticipation or expectation that Jesus is constantly finding ways to help people. And he was able to do far more than they could have imagined. But they didn't live with that expectancy and that anticipation. That expectancy, that anticipation that we're talking about seemed to be missing. However, this changes in the book of Acts. At this point in the story of the New Testament, Jesus has lived a perfect life. He's taught about the kingdom of God. He's performed countless miracles. He was arrested, crucified. And on the first Easter morning, he rose again. After spending time with his disciples and continuing to minister to people after he'd resurrected, he promised that the Holy Spirit would come and empower his followers to continue what he started. Jesus returned to heaven, and 50 days after his crucifixion, the Holy Spirit came upon the believers just as Jesus promised. This filling and baptism in the Holy Spirit, it gave a new empowerment to the believers. The day of Pentecost was both dramatic and life-changing. The believers not only received a boldness to fulfill their mission, but they also received spiritual gifts that enabled them to go and spread the message of Jesus. This group of 120 believers went and saw converts come to faith in Jesus and also received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. 
We also see that the follower of Jesus suffered violent persecution that forced the believers to spread all over the Roman Empire. And consequently, the ministry of Jesus reached more and more towns and villages. And we continue to see that converts come to faith in the Lord, be baptized in both water and in the Holy Spirit. These early followers of Jesus were responsible for starting churches and inarguably changing the world. And there seems to be a dramatic change from the Gospels and the book of Acts. There's, of course, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. There's the eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus. There's an unmistakable sense of mission and calling. And consequently, there's a definite sense of anticipation that was not there before. We see Peter on the day of Pentecost. Amidst all the confusion, amidst all that angry people that are throwing accusations their way, Jesus steps forward and shares the good news. Peter and John, when they go to the temple, they see a disabled beggar. And Peter just decides, let's take a chance. And they pray for healing, and the beggar gets healed. They were then dragged in to explain themselves to the religious leaders, and they took the chance to tell them all about Jesus. We read that the disciples, they went to the temple courtyard and preached and prayed for people. Stephen was supposed to run the soup kitchen. The next thing we know, he's praying for strangers and getting into biblical debates with people. Philip, he's minding his own business one day. And then he meets a eunuch from Ethiopia, and they get into a Bible study. And soon enough, they're looking for a pond or something so the eunuch can be baptized. Paul would travel to different towns across the Roman Empire to tell people about Jesus, and usually he would begin in the Jewish synagogues. But we see him looking for opportunities and trying to find out how God may be moving everywhere he went. While in a prison cell for preaching the gospel, an earthquake causes the prison doors to open, and Paul and his accomplice uh, Silas don't run for it. Instead, they stop to tell the jailer about Jesus, and they end up baptizing him and his whole family. Last week, Megan spoke at length about Paul in Athens and the statue of the unknown God. Paul took the chance, completely unprovoked, no invitation, no directive. Paul's just killing time in Athens. And he decides to see what God is up to and ends up preaching a sermon that we have recorded in our Bibles today and a group of converts that have their life changed because of the message of Jesus. And throughout the book of Acts, the examples go on and on. There's a clear progression from the followers of Jesus in the Gospels to the followers of Jesus in the book of Acts. What becomes normal and even expected among the believers after the resurrection and after Jesus returns to heaven and after the Holy Spirit has come The role models that we are given in the book of Acts are all people on the edge of their seat anticipating God to be at work in every single moment. It appears. If one person claps, we all have to. It appears that this is a lesson they've learned and a change that has taken place. These verses from Ephesians 5 also speak to this. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Make the most of every opportunity. Every room we walk into, every conversation we have, every time we go to the store, every errand we run, every time we walk into work, every time we meet with someone, anticipate, expect, and hope that God is indeed at work. We read this quote early from Blackaby's book. When God reveals to you where he is working, that becomes his invitation to join him in his activity. Now, the temptation to hear about being full of anticipation and expectation that God is working, if I'm paying attention, there's limitless ways that I could be a part of what he's doing. It's tempting to hear this kind of message and to start, um, start thinking that this is about me. And this is about anticipating God's blessing for me. 
and God's answer to my prayers and that his favor will find me in new and exciting ways. It's a kind reminder for us today, and I think it's important that we get a hold up, is that God knows how to find you to get you your blessing. God knows how to find you to get you your blessing. An example I have from my life, I was hesitant to share this, but it's the best example I could think of. When I was getting ready to go to Bible college, um, I did not have all the money it would take to go to Bible college. And it's a long story. It's not very interesting, so I won't go into all the details. But I had a chance to shake hands with a millionaire. And I knew this was coming. And I just convinced myself, Lord, this is it. This, this is, like, I'm going to shake hands with this wealthy guy. And he is just going to be overcome with your presence. And he's going to know, I've got to fund this guy's time in Bible college. I was 100% convinced that this is what was going to happen. Makes sense, right? So I was full of anticipation that this guy was going to shake my hand, and the power of the Lord was just going to blow his mind. I did shake his hand. He was polite, but then he went on to whatever was next, and he did not write me a big check, and he did not support me in my time in Bible college. But the day before I was getting ready to go, it was Sunday night, I was saying goodbye to everybody at church. And the church treasurer came up and said, Tom, I need to talk to you. An anonymous person has wanted to give you a few thousand dollars to get you started on your way in Bible college. God made a way. Now, again, I don't share that story because I want to sort of talk about the time someone, you know, helped me get through Bible college. But really, it was the idea that I, my head was in the wrong place. I thought, oh, this chance encounter with the millionaire, that's what I need to anticipate. Really, no, God knows how to find you, and he needs to bring a breakthrough, and he needs to bring a miracle, and he needs to bring provision. He knows how to find us. God knows how to find you to get you your blessing. But here's a different perspective, one that I think is healthier, one that I think is um, more helpful. From the book of Proverbs, the generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. From Matthew, Jesus talking, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. From the book of Acts, Jesus being quoted once again, you should remember the words of the Lord Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now on um, social media, social media algorithms are fascinating. Um, for some reasons, social media has decided that I need to see um, videos such as guys cooking steaks outside next to a river. I get so, on my feed, I get so many of these videos of guys cooking steaks next to a river. I also get videos, this is not a joke, of Steve Harvey giving life advice. And America's Got Talent, bad auditions. Shaquille O'Neal giving business advice. So if you want to know what Shaq thinks about, you know, merging with a company, he knows. Also, some guy in Michigan who professionally cleans rugs. I would complain, but I love those videos. The before and after is amazing. It's, a, it's amazing what you can do with a little elbow grease. That's all I'm going to say. But I also get a lot of preachers. Now, that makes sense in terms of the algorithm, in terms of you know, churches I follow and so on. The fact that I get a bunch of preachers makes sense. But it's amazing to me of all the sermon clips that I'll see online, how many of them are appealing to our selfishness. The amount of sort of, you know, if you're looking on, uh, I'm on YouTube Shorts a lot, or even on Instagram Reels, they're kind of a minute long and kind of these minute snippets of sermons that you'll see. It's amazing how many of these snippets of a sermon are appealing to our selfishness. It's all about my blessing and my breakthrough and my promotion and my provision and my prosperity and my opportunity and my season of abundance. 
And it upsets me because I know that well-meaning people gravitate towards that kind of teaching because it's packaged with Bible verses, but unfortunately, it is appealing to our selfishness. The Holy Spirit is working and maturing us so that we're less consumed with ourselves. And sadly, a large percentage of the sermons that I'll hear online, they're inflating what the Lord is trying to cut away. There's so much of the Bible that is controversial and even unwelcomed in 21st century American culture. For people today, possibly the most contrary words from Jesus is in Matthew 16. Then Jesus said to the disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. That thought of denying ourselves, it stands in defiance of the modern mindset. The way of Jesus is opposed to the self-centered, narcissistic, self-obsessed world we live in. We would do well by asking, how can we refresh others? Like it says in the proverb, we can take Jesus' advice to heart. What does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God? How do we believe Jesus when he says that it's better to give than to receive? And how do we take of our cross daily? Let's live in constant anticipation that God is working in the lives of others. Let's be others focus. Is God working on our behalf? Has God promised to bless and provide for us? Should we receive prayer for healing? Should we pray for breakthrough? Of course, absolutely. The verse from Romans 8 assures us that he is indeed working for the good of those who love him. But he knows how to find you to get you your blessing. We don't need to fret or worry. For us, our responsibility, let's pray to be the vessel God uses to answer other people's prayers. The confession I'll put to you is I used to be more like this. I used to have a stronger sense of anticipation and expectancy. And the past few months, I've really felt challenged in myself that you know, I want to get back to that. In the past number of years, I've been a Christian for 20 years now, I guess. In the past 20 years, I've sort of learned a lot, been to Bible college, I've read a lot of books written by some really smart people, and I've spent time in church leadership. And over time, you can get cynical about things. And I want to get back to where I was. I want to get back to a sense of anticipation of every room I walk into. God, how are you at work in this moment? How can you use me to help somebody? How can I be a blessing to someone? I want to get back to that. There's a, an occasion, I've told my children this, and they think it's hilarious. Um, there was one time I was in a sauna. This is back in the UK, so I'd be 19, 20, I guess, and I'm, I'm in the sauna, and I'm determined that, God, you're going to use me. And I've been in the sauna for, I don't know, 15 minutes, and then some guys walk in. And I was like, Lord, you have brought me these two people so I can tell them the gospel and have their lives changed forever. And so I just pray, Lord, open up a conversation. And I just start talking to these guys, and nothing spiritual comes up. There's no easy way for me to work in. God loves you. And I'm in a sauna, and I'm sweating bullets, and it's been like half an hour, and I'm starting to get lightheaded. I'm like, I got to get up and close the door because this dizziness is not going to go away. So I just stand up, and like, as I'm leaving, I'm like, Jesus loves you. And I just fall out the door. I had to call in sick to work the next day. I worked at a church, and I had to call in and say, hey, I can't come to work today. I'm saying, so, oh, no, what's up? I was like, I was trying to tell people about Jesus in a sauna. I want that back. I want that back. That anticipation, that living on the edge of your seat, that any room I walk into, God, maybe, just maybe, you're going to do something in this room. Maybe I'm going to meet someone today. Maybe I'm going to cross paths with someone at the store that needs encouraging. 
Maybe I'm going to meet someone today and they've got all kinds of questions. And Lord, maybe, just maybe I can help point them in the right direction. Lord, I believe I'm going to walk into a room and there's going to be someone that I can help, someone that needs some practical help that the church can help. And maybe I can help join the dots. I don't know, but Lord, I want to, I want to get back to that anticipation. I want to be more like I used to be. I want to get back. I'm aware that this message will divide the room. Some people will celebrate and cry hallelujah because this is what you're all about. Others are going to cringe and worry about how you now have to turn into a weirdo at work. I don't see how the kingdom of God advances if you freak everyone out at work or make everyone at Little League wish they'd never sat next to you or confuse people at the school or the HOA meeting. But I clearly see how the kingdom of God advances if each of us learn to see and think with a new perspective constantly asking, Lord, how are you at work? Lord, how can I make a positive difference? How can I accept your invitation to join you to be make a difference in people's lives? This is not a message that insists we all live trying to generate activity, but rather that we all live on the edge of our seats with anticipation, expecting God to open up opportunities to make a difference. That verse from Colossians, again, we read a few moments ago. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. The message of Jesus needs to fill our lives, consuming our hearts and minds. We should be teaching and encouraging each other with the wisdom and insight that God has revealed to us. We need to have a lifestyle of worship and gratitude and thanksgiving. And this verse again from verse 17, and whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. Every room you walk into, whoever you're with, anticipate that the Lord might be at work and you might have a part to play. My friends, this starts with believing that God has things planned for us. Paul writes in Ephesians that there's good works that God has planned for us long ago. God's good works always involve what He treasures most, that's people. My hope is that you have a strong desire to find the opportunities to join God in what He's doing and be a part of making a difference. As a follower of Jesus, you are a representative of Him. As His representative, there are things He has planned for you long ago so you can continue what Jesus started. You may be the person who has a kind word to say or some needed advice to share. You may meet someone who is finally ready to make the decision to follow Jesus, and you could be the person to help walk them through that decision and to pray with them. You could be the person to pray for healing for someone, and we see that God does indeed still heal, and He does still perform miracles. You might be able to help meet a need, maybe financial, maybe you have something that you don't need anymore that you can give away. There are so many times when I've seen people desperate for something, a, a stroller or winter coat or a laptop, something that they sincerely need, and then someone hears about that need and they have a spare or an old winter coat that a kid's grown out of or they have winter boots or an old laptop and they just give it away. And they get to be a part of the reason someone who was desperate caught a break and now that person is praising God. The greatest privilege as a follower of Jesus is to collect stories of how he used us to reach people in a life-changing way. There's no promise of fame one person claps, you all have to. There's no promise of fame. There's no promise of glory. 
There's no promise of our names being written in history books, but there's the promise that we can all help people become faithful and effective followers of Jesus. That's the promise that God is constantly at work. One of our goals should be to collect stories by taking the opportunity to join God in His work. And imagine if we all lived with this expectation. What would happen if each and every one of us lived with this constant and relentless anticipation that at any moment we could be a part of God working in someone's life? It's impossible to fathom all the stories we would hear, all the people who are helped and encouraged and finding answers to their deepest questions. I was reminded of these words from Jesus in Matthew 5. You are the salt of the earth. You make things better. In New Testament times, they would also use salt as healing qualities, like medicinal purposes. You help make things better. You bring relief to people. You make a situation that was bad good. But what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise you and honor word of life because of all the good stuff you did. Oh, hold on, I read that wrong. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. The gospel is not a secret. Our faith is not private. The outcome is that people will see the good things we are doing, not praise us, but praise God. If it was just the church staff, if it was just the pastoral team that did this, our impact on the community would be limited. But if we all lived with an anticipation, an expectation in every place we find ourselves, whether it's waiting at the doctor's office, watching a high school football game, spending time with coworkers, catching up with an old friend, going to the grocery store, sitting next to someone on a plane. If we constantly say, Lord, I'm ready, I believe the Lord will open doors and soon enough the community will know that there's a church that cares about them. There's a church that values them and is concerned about their well-being. I believe the community will trust that when they need help, they will know the church is the place to go. I believe we'll see people come to faith in unprecedented ways when believers rise up and live ready and full of expectation that at any moment they could be a part of a miracle. Romans 8, 28. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. God is at work in the good, the bad, and the indifferent. God is always working, and we should always anticipate opportunities to join Him. In the four Gospels, we see that Jesus' followers don't appear to have gotten this. There seems to be a lack of anticipation and a lack of expectancy, but that changes in the book of Acts. Seeing the resurrected Jesus or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it seems to have inspired the followers of Jesus to live with a greater eagerness and belief that God is at work in each and every moment. Maybe, just maybe, there's going to be a chance for them to be a part of what He's doing. And my friends, the constant battle will be to get our eyes off of ourselves and onto Jesus and onto others. To deny ourselves and follow Him. To seek first the kingdom of God. To look for ways to refresh others. And to believe and trust the words of Jesus. That it is better to give than to receive. 
Every room you walk into, every errand you run, every interaction, remember that you are a representative of Jesus. There will be dozens, possibly hundreds of times this week that each of us can quietly pray, Lord, I hope there's a way for me to be a blessing to someone. Lord, I'm ready to be a part of what you're doing. Lord, I hope I meet someone who needs to be encouraged or needs to find hope. Lord, if I meet someone who's ready to start following you, please give me the words to say. If we all started praying prayers like that, I can't even imagine the impact we would have on the lives of people in Baldwinsville and beyond. The greatest privilege as a follower of Jesus is to collect stories of how he used us to reach people in a life-changing way. I have a few questions for you. If you're in a habit of writing these down, maybe this is gonna give you something to talk about with people this week. But first question I put to you, are you constantly ready and anticipating? Are you constantly ready and anticipating? As I shared with you, if moment of honesty, if you would have asked me this a year ago, the answer would have been no. But I wanna get back to where I once was. I wanna get back to being ready. Every room I go into, every place I find myself, every conversation, Lord, what are you doing here? What, how can you use me to help someone in this? Second question I put to you, where can you see opportunities for God to work? Where can you see opportunities for God to work? Where does your day-to-day life take you? Who do you talk to and spend time with? Who do you constantly cross paths with? Where can you see opportunities for God to work? It's very important that we remember that this is not just theory. This really does change lives. Um, I have a good friend of mine. He hates when I do this, but Larry Sanderson. He's a part, yeah, we can pull for Larry. So Larry's a part of the uh, small group that Megan and I lead on Wednesday nights. And uh, I came in and Larry was already here. And he was like a shaken up bottle of soda. Because some local politician had knocked on his door to introduce himself. And Larry got talking to him. And somewhere in the conversation was like, do you know Jesus? And before you know it, Larry's praying for this guy to have his eternity changed by praying with his Lord to receive Jesus as his Savior. Another example that came to mind is a, a guy in the, the church that Meg and I were a, a part of in New Jersey, a guy called Phil. Um, Phil was a contractor. He was not a pastor on staff at a church. He was a, in construction. And Phil was just determined that he needed to pray for healing for people. And so Phil would make it his business. If you dared tell him you were sick, he was gonna ask you if it's okay if he prays for you. And if someone asks you, is it okay if I pray for you? Most people will say yes. Phil would probably, I would say, once, sometimes twice a week, call me and tell me about someone he got to pray for who received healing. Now, let me back up. He would call me, and I could barely understand what he was saying because he was crying. Because he was so overjoyed that someone that was in pain is now feeling relief. Someone that was now struggling with something has now found breakthrough. Phil, to the best of my knowledge, has never grabbed a microphone and preached the message. To the best of my knowledge, he's never been on staff at a church. He's a follower of Jesus that has just decided everywhere I go, every room I go into, every interaction I have, Lord, I'm gonna believe you're gonna move. I believe you're up to something. And I believe Larry and many others in this room are that same way. And before we close, in lots of ways, today's message was definitely for those of us who have made the decision to follow Jesus. But you may be here and you may have never made that decision before in your life. I can tell you, I'm 20 years of being a Christian. It is easily, that nothing comes close. It is easily the best decision I have ever made. 
in the last 20 years of life. I've had ups, I've had downs, just like you have. But I've never once regretted my decision to follow Jesus. Once I got to the point in my life where I realized that Tom, you believe in God. You believe that Jesus died for you. You believe these things. You are not doing anything about it. You are just doing your own thing. You're living self-absorbed and it is not going anywhere good. I had my eyes wide open. Tom, sin is killing you. It is robbing you of joy. It is robbing you of peace. And that peace and that joy and that fulfillment, that comes from a restored and repaired relationship with the Father. And that is only possible because of what Jesus did on the cross. That price that was paid as Jesus became the sacrifice that we needed so that we could have a clean state. We could start over. We can live, as the Bible says, born again, a new creation in Christ Jesus. It was possible because of Him. The Bible also teaches His motivation was love. His love for you. His love for me. His love for anyone else you can think of. His motivation was a love for us so that we could come, find the forgiveness that we desperately need and we can have our relationship with the Father restored and we can live with a confidence that we are set in our relationship with Him both now and into eternity. There may be some of you here today that you're ready to make that decision. You've never made that decision before. Perhaps you made that decision, but you've since rejected God and pushed Him away and you want to make that decision again. My friend, I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to pray for you as you start this adventure of following God. So if you mind just closing your eyes and bowing your heads, this is just to give some privacy to everyone around you and help us focus on what really matters right now. And if you'd be honest enough to say, Tom, you know what? I believe in God, but I'm not following Him. I believe Jesus died for me, but I've never made that decision to follow Him. I've never given Him that Lordship in my life, but I want to. I know I need a Savior. If that's you today, I'd love to pray for you. So if that's you, could you just put your hand in the air? I promise I won't embarrass you. I won't do anything you're going to regret on the way home. But I'd love to pray for you. Amen. Anybody else here? Wonderful. Amen. Amen. Anybody else? Thank you. Amen. Come on, Word of Life. Quickly celebrate with those people who've made the best decision any of us could ever make today. Amen. Well, if you would stand with me, we're going to pray a prayer together. And we do this at the end of all our services. The words are on the screen. I want to encourage every single person here to pray this. And pray this believing that it's changing the lives of people in here today. So come on, everyone. Let's pray this together. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I want to follow you. I invite you to be Lord of my life. Help me follow you every day. I want to leave my old life of sin behind and heal my broken relationship with God. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, can we please celebrate with people? Amen.